Welcome to Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. So we are in Romans 15, verse 1 through 7. Here is the text. Uh, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, hear these words in seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the the word of the Lord. Uh, Wednesday night, if you live here in Boone County and you have kids, you probably know, school started this week. So uh, Wednesday night, we uh, tucked the kids in and I'm laying in the the lower bunk with Judah and Abel and and we're kind of talking and we're we're doing our thing. And I asked Judah, my older, I said, as a new uh, fourth grader who's quite experienced, uh, what would you like to tell your younger brother, able uh, that he needs to know uh, before he starts kindergarten tomorrow, right? You're seasoned in this elementary game. Uh, what does is, what is able really need to know? What, what, what should someone have told you before you went to kindergarten? And Judah just kind of thought about it for a second, and he looked at Abel and said, Abel, don't punch anyone tomorrow. <laughs> that's really important. And I thought, that, that, that's quite important. And he said, and Abel, don't run in the hall. And don't talk when the teacher's talking. They don't like that. And that advice, it seems solid. And here's the thing. It wasn't unexpected. I saw those things, especially if you know Abel and him hulking out. You could see the, hey, don't punch anyone being like valid information to give him before kindergarten. Uh, as Romans wind down, winds down, Paul leaves us similarly with the last things that we need to know. Uh, the, the advice, the, the counsel from someone else who's kind of walked before us. He imparts with us what we need to focus on, what we need to really, really care about. And, and we might imagine as he's leaving kind of these last words with us, because I mean, Romans is 16 chapters. We're, we're like, we're almost there. You may expect for him at the end to uh, leave imparting words like, make sure not to partake in the idol worship of, of Rome. They like to do that. Just, just be careful. That's what you need to know. Or don't jump into uh, the, the drunkenness of the culture. Or maybe remember to evangelize and share the gospel. Or fight to hold to the truth of the doctrine of grace. All of these things w- would have been quite normal. We would, we would expect those from him. And yet Paul says this, you need to, I need to, all who are in Christ need to practice this yourself. His parting words are welcome one another. This is what he leaves us with. Paul lands on hospitality. Did did you see that coming? Like in in this epic book, there is no righteousness in the world except for Jesus. That's why he came. This is the future glory that you have in Christ. This is what happens when a world ignores God. They become futile in their thinking. All of these grand arcs, and he lands with be hospitable. Like, be hospitable? And I, I don't know if I saw that one coming. The what of this text is welcoming one another. 
And, and then we get the why, and it unfolds in a couple different levels. We welcome one another, not because we're awesome and super nice, not because we want to maintain some uh, like aura uh, of hospitality or of niceness. We welcome one another, not because we love hosting people. We welcome one another, not because we like dinner spreads, um, not because it's what Christians and elders alike are supposed to do. We welcome one another, and he puts the indicative and the imperative together for us. We welcome one another because Christ has welcomed us. This is the why. It's not about duty. It's not about discipline. It's not about making God not angry with you, staying on his good side. It, the why is we are welcoming others because Christ has welcomed us. Christ's welcome to former sinners is the bedrock of Christianity and what we're called to in this passage. But the even bigger end game, right? The, the what is welcome one another. The, the why is because Christ is... Uh, welcomed you, but the, the why or maybe the so, the, the, the bigger uh, understanding of, of, of the why is also given there. We do this so that God may be glorified. And the glory of God, it's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around some, but we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us so that God may be given the glory that is due to his name. So God in heaven may be made visible on earth, so his character may be made visible, so his likeness may be made visible your hospitality, hear this, do you believe this? Your hospitality, if given, glorifies the Father. You, welcoming one another. God is seen through that. His character is seen through that. His love is seen through that. His mercy is seen through that. You may think of it as, as random or being nice, but Paul's telling us, no, 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 you need to hold to this. The glory of God is at stake here. Now, we are working our way backwards in the text, right? We're ending, or we're beginning the sermon with the end of, of the text. We're beginning on verse 7. That's the, the tail end. But follow me. Paul in Romans 12 already has told us, seek to show hospitality. Seek to show doesn't mean accidentally fall into once a month. Seek to show hospitality. It's not a brand new message for us. It's all over the New Testament. Hospitality is a requirement for eldership. We see that in Timothy and in Titus. Uh, Peter says that uh, we should show hospitality without grumbling. So don't just invite someone over and be like, I, I did it. You're welcome. Like, show hospitality. Hebrews tell us emphatically this way do not neglect to show hospitality to the stranger. Any serious New Testament survey is going to consistently bump into this topic of hospitality and welcoming. But somehow we may have accidentally majored on a plethora of other things uh, and left the task of hospitality to elders, extroverts, and people who like to plan parties. As if hospitality is for a few leaders and those who love charcuterie boards. Yet Paul doesn't leave this as a possibility. His words are to the church. If you are in Christ, congratulations, you are the church. His call is for all believers to do this of all ages. And, he, and hear this, I, I, was a, I was a person who loved this whole Enneagram thing at the end, and now I'm starting to loathe it because it shoves people in categories and doesn't let them out. It doesn't matter what Enneagram number you are. Show hospitality. We, the church, are to welcome one another, fellow believers, so that God may receive the glory due to his name. This is our call to see God's name hallowed. Remember when Jesus taught us how to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That wasn't just like a smooth entry. The glory and honor and hallowing of God's name is an epically important thing. And the way that we welcome each other has a lot to do with the hallowing of his name. 
Now we begin today at the end so that we may feel the full force of this responsibility, the responsibility to warmly, intentionally, lovingly, sincerely, and passionately welcome with Christ's hospitality those who come to us here at Redemption Hill. Right, so the people that we don't even know yet, the ones that are going to walk through the door at other weeks, we are called to, to, to do that with them and also to do that as well to the people who are already here, even the ones that we currently may have some disagreements over, opinions with, especially about our liberties and what we're free to do and what we're not free to do. You see, it's not hard to welcome people that you're close to. Friends that you uh, agree with on everything, if you are just using the rubric of are you hospitality by how many times does your best friend come over, that has nothing to do with hospitality. The New Testament defines hospitality as loving the stranger. In the context of the one another, this is welcoming the one that you don't know as well. The one that you maybe don't see everything the exact same way as they do. The one that you don't have quite the rapport built up with. The one that conversation is just kind of hard and awkward. Welcome them. We'll wrap back around to why this idea is important in the end, but hospitality is about a welcoming posture and mentality in life to even the people who don't see things the way that you do. In our divided world, we are taught to alienate and crush the one who doesn't see the world the way you do. Jesus never says anything like that. As the text today for o- opens, Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Which is, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, that sounds a little familiar, right? Uh, if you back up a, a little bit, just to get a little bit of a lesson, what's interesting is the Bible did not come with chapter and verse numbers. Like, that's extra biblical. <laughs> like, that's not gospel. That, that's not inspired by God. The chapters were added, uh, the chapter numbers were added in 1205 by Stephen Langdon, and the verse numbers were added in 1551 by Robert Stephanus. All of that was so that you could understand where, where to go to, right? If we're here this morning and chapter numbers aren't there, it'd be like, hey, turn to Romans towards the backside where they're talking about meat and idols and fighting each other. You, you got it? You're like, oh, yeah, I know where that's at. Most of you are like, I don't, I don't know where that's at. That's why they're there. But I bring that up because when Langdon added the chapter numbers to Romans, like I, 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 think, I think he messed that one up. I think he fell on his face a little bit because chapter 14 and 15 shouldn't be separate. They're like a run-on idea, a run-on sentence. Uh, though we're starting 15 today, it's really a continuation of 14. If you guys wouldn't get mad and our uh, children's workers wouldn't have quit, we could just do 14 and 15 all together, but we got to bust it up a little bit. Paul laid out these scenarios to us over 14 and 15 between strong and weak believers, strong and weak brothers and sisters in the faith. The the general idea of the weaker brother are ones who are saved by Christ. They put their faith in him for redemption and for their eternity fully, but they have some issues uh, regarding knowledge where they're lacking. They don't have it all figured out. Though we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, the weaker brother still struggles with, with what we call Christian liberties. They believe that things that are fine for you and me to do are actually sinful. 
and their conscience just, just messes with them over those beliefs. So they're, they're kind of always wondering, can I do this? Can I not? In certain areas where, where it's fine to do, they just like, I can't do that. And they feel unclean if they do. They feel defiled if they do things that they're free to do. And then maybe they begin to run from God. And even their conscience can be seared in that. Paul brought up eating meat and drinking wine as possible examples of this in their day. These are things that you're free to do. But the church is like, we don't know how to navigate this well. What Paul laid out in the text last week is that the stronger brothers, ones who feel free to enjoy liberties worshipfully for the honor of God and thankfully must be willing to lay down their liberties at times if exercising them will cause a specific weaker brother to stumble in their faith. We worked really hard to make sure that we could see that this is about specific people And specific liberties, if there's a close friend who you understand or a fellow brother and sister, not just close friend in the faith and something is going to mess them up, if you use that liberty, Paul just says, don't do it then. If a certain believer is likely to join in on a liberty out of peer pressure or feeling dumb, right? You're enjoying your liberty and they're near you and you just know they're going to get pressured or just not really know and do it even though they think it's wrong, He says, hey, make sure you just set aside that liberty and don't put them in that situation. Why? Because the kingdom of God is bigger than eating and drinking, he tells us. When we are willing to hurt a fellow believer to use our liberties, we have shrinking down the kingdom of God, uh, the the kingdom that Jesus bled to bring about. We've shrinking it down to things that aren't important, to things that are not the point. The kingdom of God, Paul told us, is about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about the redeemed people of God living together by grace. The takeaway was not just that we should forego uh, some liberties for others. It was for each believer to see that their role in this whole community is maybe bigger than you thought. You and I, each and every one of us, doesn't matter our age or how long we've been here. If we are part of this body, you have a valuable role in moving towards the peace of this community. And you also have a valuable role in the mutual upbuilding of the community. That's what we need to show. Like the the upbuilding of this community doesn't just depend on myself and, and Garrett. It can't. It's all of us have a, pl- a role to play in this. As we hear in the opening that we, the strong, have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not please ourselves... He's zooming back to the text and building upon it all over again. The failings that Paul has in mind is not the sin practices. He's not saying strong believers just accept and you're obligated to just deal with the weaker believer's sin. No, that's not what he's saying. He's referencing again the weaker brother. If they fail to see the truth and believe wrongly that some freedoms will harm them and their relationship with God, in that moment it is the obligation of the strong to bear it. Notice before, he just says, hey, don't put out a stumbling block. And there's that thing in our mind that could go like, I could like take it or leave that advice. And now he goes, no, no, it's your obligation. As in it is the responsibility of the strong to yield their freedom for the weak. That's difficult to hear, isn't it? Who likes to lay down things they like? And who likes to lay down things they like that aren't even wrong? You're like, it's not wrong and I'm free to do it and I like it. Just let me do it. Nobody. But what Paul's trying to show us here is who has the capacity to make a difference? It's only the strong. See, the weaker person is, is coming into their freedom and they can't change their perspective, right? They're, they're, they're not dumb. They're, they're just, they, they, they just haven't got that part yet. And as they're in the situation, they can't change their perspective. So who's the one that can upbuild in the situation because the weaker brother can't change their perspective? 
What's only the stronger that can act in love for the good of the body. This is why Paul says it's your obligation in love not to please yourself, not to move forward with your liberty or partake in it. The strong has to decide to do what's needed for good here. Paul has just said that pleasing ourselves through the exercising of our liberties cannot be the highest priority of Christians. The good of our neighbor has to be what we prioritize over that. We have to be those who prioritize building people up over just what we'd like to do at times. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of true love. Remember, we've tried to point into it for quite a while. The culture will tell you, please yourself, do what you want, honor your heart. Like that's the best path. That's the path to heaven. That's, that's what you need to do. This is the message that culture gives us all the time. And Jesus says, that's not the way of the cross. It's not the way of love. There are times you lay down what you want to do in order to love and build up. Notice, some take this way too far though. And they take this as if Paul is asking Christians just to be doormats in every situation. He isn't saying, get really used to losing and never doing anything that you enjoy. Way of the cross. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, he isn't even saying just do what pleases others over you. The example is about a weaker brother, a fellow believer. If there's a situation where you can upbuild them and not tear them down, in that moment, it would be a great idea to yield your liberty. It's not saying always yield your liberty and never get to do anything fun or that you're free to do. If using it, it's going to hurt someone. Just yield it in that moment because the priority is building up rather than doing what I want. Sam Storms is really helpful in this. Paul doesn't want you to think that Christian liberty is a bad thing. It's a wonderful gift of God's grace. We are to celebrate it, enjoy it, and defend it but not at the expense of the spiritual welfare of a weaker brother or sister. The enjoyment of Christian liberty is a good thing, he says. Hear me, it's just not the best thing. Serving our fellow believer for his or her good and growth is much better. Again, this is not saying be a doormat and never get what you want, but what if we lived in a culture of people when they hit a situation go, hey man, I'd like to do this, but I could... I could help lift them up in their faith and cause them not to fall by not doing it this moment. What if each person yielded that way? What a beautiful place that would be. Man, I, I, I will love you well in, in doing this. Why? Because you're more valuable than that to me. Right? Are you giving it up forever? No, just in front of you. No, he's it, it, just saying, hey, what, what, what if we learned that? Man, I care for you. Then we get a theological basis for this when Paul says, for Christ did not please himself. As it's written in Psalm 69, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. I love that Jesus never resorts to do as I say and not as I do things to us. Christ didn't step down from heaven out of self-interest. It wasn't his sin he was coming to pay for. He didn't do it because it seemed like a fun, relaxing trip that he could Instagram post about. Christ didn't aim to please himself in his advent. He came for the weaker ones, for sinners, for those with failings, for those who didn't get it, for those who struggled with how to live. That is, Christ came for the ungodly. He came for us. Hear me, even if now we find ourselves as the stronger brother in faith by the grace and mercy of God. First here, you didn't do that. But even if now you find yourself in the stronger brother position, 
you and I have to remember that wasn't always the case. We at one time were enemies of God. We at one time were far off in our sin with no hope of redemption, no hope of salvation, no hope in being united with the Father. But Jesus did what would build us up by not trying to please himself. Christ laid down his freedoms all the way to the shame of the cross. The call here is to look to Jesus and model Jesus with each other. Hey, that thing that Jesus did for you, you're not everyone's savior, but what if you modeled that to the people around you? He freely laid down what was his. Why? To build you up, to save you. Paul referenced Psalm 69, an Old Testament book referenced all over the New Testament. And he takes a little bit of a detour it seems, but, but there's, a, there's a method to the madness. He says, what was written in former days, right? In the past, the word of God was written for our instruction. There's a belief in our day that everything old is bad, that it's wrong, that it's outdated, that it's archaic, that it's obsolete. Really, just this belief, just trash it all. And you, you can hear this in the, like, watch the news. You're not sending us back 100 years. What does that mean? I, f- I feel like everyone 100 years ago was stupid, and we're not going to do that again. This is what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Everything old is bad. Where humanity thinks that the modern self and perspective is the best. Where we think that today's reason and desire is the apex of wisdom and truth. So much so that everything else needs to be trashed and thrown away so that we need to reinvent truth and reality in the modern context. And yet Paul writes about 2,000 years ago, get this, we're 2,000 years after, Paul writes about 2,000 years ago, the book of Romans, in which he points to writing that was written a long time before he wrote Romans. He says, hey, that stuff in the former day, it was old to him. The Bible, specifically the Old Testament he's talking about here, is a gift. It reveals the Messiah to instruct us if we allow it. Everything old isn't bad. The Word is a beautiful gift because it shows you Jesus. Then look at what he said. Through enduring in the Word of God, we can endure in life and faith. We can, through scriptures, have hope as well. His point is for believers to endure, for for them to be able to endure, for them to be able to do hard things, for them to stand firm in faith and love, for them to be able to pursue unity, they're going to need the word. How or why? To instruct them, strengthen them, and give them hope. This statement can be reverse engineered a little bit and still stand. Do you feel lost and without instruction? Do you look at the world around you and you're like, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm confused. I, I, I don't know. Do you feel weak, like you just can't push through or do hard things? Do you know the paradigm of fight and flight? It used to be how they categorized all responses. In the last couple of years, they've opened up a new one. It's just called like faint. You know that I can't even mentality? Do you feel like you just can't even all the time? You can't push through. You can't make it through. Do you feel like hope is gone, like the, the, the life has kind of been sucked out of your soul? Paul's saying, hey, don't look to new trends or new beliefs or new fads or new systems 
to fix you. That is a part of what scripture is meant to do. I'm not for a second saying that scripture will fix everything hard for you. But scripture, or without scripture, everything will be epically harder for you. This is the message. No false promises. It is only in Revelation when King Jesus comes back that every tear will be wiped away. You can be in the good book constantly and you're still going to have tears. But you're going to know how to walk through them more. Why does Paul point to scripture here in a section over liberties and rights? This is where he connects it. He's saying if you want endurance, if you want encouragement, if you want to live in harmony with one another, the church, if you want the kind of harmony that lets you not just please yourself, but looks to the good of others instead of just you, you're going to have to get that through the scriptures. Again, why? Prove it. Why? Because they point you to Jesus, the Messiah. They point you to the person of Christ. You can't do it on your own. When you search the scriptures in that moment, you'll find Christ, shadows of him, the character of him, the love of him, the mercy of him, the plan to send him. All scripture points to and testifies to the person and work of Christ. And the more you look at it, the more you'll find rest in it because you behold the beauty of Jesus. The more in that you'll end up loving him and the more in that you'll end up following him. We have to remember Christianity is fundamentally the following of Christ. It's not the gathering of a couple mental facts about Christ. It's not how you'll answer a survey. Christian, Christianity is following him. How do you follow the one that you don't know anything about? And how do you know more about him? The word. There's this moment in us today that anything like that, this declaration of you need the word, there's this thing inside of us like fundamentalist. No. Every call to something isn't legalism. Paul's just saying, hey, if you want that, you're going to have to go to this. See the beauty of Jesus. Then verse 5 reads like a specific prayer from Paul, because it is, (laughs) over us here right now. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, right? He's praying to live in such harmony and such unity with one another in accordance with Christ that you together may with one voice glorify God the Father. Man, this is a beautiful prayer. He's getting ready to lay in the plane of the book. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you such harmony that you're so together that one voice is proclaimed out of your mouth. May only he do that. Can you feel the weight of it? He's saying with scriptures and prayer, the great hope he has for the body of Christ is that we will be one voice. Not uniformity, unity. Not a million different voices, not a million different factions or tribes or arguing people, but instead a group of ragtag believers bonded in their congruence to Christ to where they model and the world sees one voice out of them, one message. Through their worship, through their gathering, through the way they live, through their weirdness, right? One voice. 
and through that bond in us, walked out by us and said, the God of the universe is glorified. He'll be made much of. And this isn't a promise that if we act in unity, the whole world's going to be like, I want a part of that. Can I join? But the promise is God will get his glory because they will see him. Some will see the glory of God and it'll anger them and they'll run. And others will see the glory of God and there'll be awe and reverence that'll come out of it. He sorts that part out, not us. What we find if we look is the church, ours and others, have been really good at dividing. We're professionals. Divide over music, theology, the use of liturgy, the form of liturgy, leadership, church polity, women in ministries, the Holy Spirit, who to vote for, civil matters. The church has been known for splitting over the color of carpet in a building. What's Paul saying? Be really careful or you're going to divide over your liberty too. It's just going to be another one of the things that you divide over. And if we step away from the notes and the sermon stuff, just think, what's been one of the heartbreaking things that we've seen through the COVID era? People dividing over liberties. People dividing over how they see the world and opinions. We feel this. Like, a lot of the people that I've seen and other pastors that I've talked to, the people leaving their church, it's not over, it's not over the deity of Jesus. It's other stuff. You're getting up and walking away from the table over that. Follow me, if you would, for a second. Remember, back to hospitality. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All of this is through the lens of hospitality. Why? How? How does that work? If a weaker brother may stumble over a liberty you enjoy. Right? He used wine. Alcohol is the consistent one in our day. Perhaps if a weaker brother is going to have issues with you drinking alcohol, what's the play? Love that brother. Right? Get to a given night, not going to drink tonight. Aced it, nailed it. But what about the next dinner? What about the next time you invite people over? What about the next time that you go and do something with a group of friends? Maybe just me. It would be tempting to what? Not invite them. to take away the welcome. Why? So you can enjoy your liberty next time. I had the trial before, aced it, nailed it, boom, godly, not invited anymore. And the weird parts of our heart would actually be like, man, I'm so Christian, so good. Took the stumbling block away from him, just never put it there again. Maturity. We tend to lay down a preference once for someone. Don't ask me to do it twice. Don't ask me to make a lifestyle out of it. Next time I'm not going to invite them. This isn't bearing with the failings of the weak. It's ostracizing them and calling it maturity. 
This is doing just enough to feel good about yourself and then rejecting them. This is pleasing yourself and in the future not caring about one another. What we'll do if we're not careful is we will welcome only the people who see everything the way that we do. Oh, I will welcome you. We'll welcome other stronger brothers, people that are easy, and we'll practice a new posture of unwelcoming the rest, the weaker ones. We just step back and go, how's the body supposed to grow that way? Not, I'm not even saying numerically. Like, how do we mature that way if we just begin to segregate and divide? This is why Paul directs us back to hospitality, to welcome the stranger. If we want to live in harmony and unity in Christ together, if we want to be united to this spot of having one voice, if, if we want to do that in worship and appearance as we move forward, if we're serious about that, we're going to have to welcome one another freely. We'll have to welcome those who are like us and those who are not like us. We'll have to welcome those who limit our freedoms every time we welcome them. And we'll have to welcome even the people that are a little bit difficult or more hard to handle or don't see things the way that we do. The whole world around us. When the Bible says world, it's, it's the prevailing knowledge or way of the culture around us. The whole world understands and operates in an ethic that knows how to please itself already. You look out and you're like, they're good at it. The world knows how to do that. With one, world, with one voice, the world declares, you watch out for you. You do you. It declares, follow your heart, your wants, your desires, and don't let anyone stop you. And it even tells you that that's the gospel. That's the way to happiness. That's the way to freedom. That's the way to salvation. You harness what's in your heart. You do what's in your heart, and you, and you, and you don't yield for anything. You do and get whatever you desire for yourself. And yet Christ beckons those who follow him to reject that fully and completely. No. He beckons believers to lay down their rights and liberties at times. He beckons us to watch out for brothers and sisters in the faith. Why? To see them built up. To see the the body be made stronger. And this will require for us a continual welcome. Welcome again to those who limit our freedoms, not just one time, but perpetually. When this world sees a people who freely lay down what is theirs, when they see a people who aren't owned by and ran by their desires like everyone else, they're going to think we're more weird. But also God will be glorified because they'll see the heart of the Father, the goodness of the Father, and the character of the Father on display. This is a part of what it means to be light in the darkness, to shine the reality of God into a broken world that so desperately needs him. It's to show, hey, this thing, you're showing them the the person of Christ through how you're working, the only thing that can save you is, is this, and you're showing it to them. The Savior who can fix them, the God who stands over all things. This is why... A call to hospitality and welcoming is more than just an elder's job. Friends, it's not just about if you like cheese plates and dinner spreads. It's about if you want to see the kingdom of God break more fully into the darkness. Then we'll model Jesus by gladly seeing others built up and welcoming members of the body and loving one another. 
Again, just like Christ welcomed you. What a picture. And again, I don't want to oversell that it's just what the world sees. Guys, that'd be a good thing to live in the middle of, wouldn't it? That I can trust that you want to build me up. Do you trust that I want to build you up? I'll even yield some of the things I want to see you flourish. I mean, who goes like, nah, not interested. This is the beauty of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. It's the beauty of what the church is supposed to be like. As we land the plane for today, I don't want to just finish with a directive. Yes. If you've cut off welcoming one another to keep your preferences intact, that needs to be addressed. Absolutely 100%. If you see, man, I've been doing that. Maybe I'll cover it next month or next year. No, don't. But how does it get addressed? And, and, and if you're doing well in that, how, how, do, how does it keep going well? Well, looking at Jesus. So my hope for you is that you would hear the last words of Paul deep in your soul. Christ has welcomed you. That's what's true of you if your faith is in Jesus. He's welcomed you with open arms. And we're not talking like, you can come into the party. We're talking about arms wide open, welcome, come, come to me. This means whether you feel like your faith is on fire right now or you don't, e- like you don't even know how the smoldering wick is still going, Christ has welcomed you. If your marriage is in a rough spot, Christ has welcomed you. Feel beat up, not feeling good, Christ has welcomed you. If you want to throw your kids on the way to church this morning, probably don't do that, but Christ has welcomed you. If you don't know the last time you opened your Bible, Christ has welcomed you. If you sit at the end of the summer and go, man, I lost my mind and heart and affection. What in the world's happened? Christ has welcomed you. Do you see the constant message? This is the goodness for your heart. You're not just welcoming because you're a nice person. If the pain that you've experienced is so deep that you, don't, you can't hardly sing, Christ has welcomed you. What is Paul's message throughout Romans? Your current perfection has no bearing on your welcome. Do you get that? And here's the other thing. Fighting against the culture with everything we have in us. Your current emotion has no, no bearing on your welcome. This is the good news. Christ welcomes weaker brothers and stronger alike. And there's no varsity in JV. He just welcomes them. He's faithful to wrap his arms around and go, hey man, if you feel beat up, busted up, if you feel unwelcome, come here. But man, I did that thing again, right? If you, if you end up at the end of the summer and you're just disappointed because you're shocked that you just fell into some pattern of sin all over again, you just, I can't believe it. He knew and he still welcomes you. The hope is that today you would feel that to be true. Worship in light of it. We'll take communion and as you take, the hope is that truth would hit you deep in the soul. And that truth would mold unity in us together, not in a couple of us, in all of us. Church, we want to be a people who see their God glorified, his name hallowed. We want to see the kingdom come more and more as we walk out our faith together. I pray that Christ's welcome walks us deeper into that today. 
And the Holy Spirit does whatever he needs to in light of that. Band, you guys can come back up. Here's the hope, though. Would you just slow down for a little bit? I don't know what you have going on after this or how your weeks have been, but would you slow down and worship? Ask the Holy Spirit, hey, would you show me the reality of this? Man, I don't feel that welcomed. I don't feel that close. I don't feel that loved or lovable. Will you, will you help me with that? Spend your time in worship doing that, and I think it's not a time wasted. If you haven't received Christ, if your faith is not him, him and you've just kind of navigated around how much I want to say the same thing, you can receive the welcome as well. Turn to the Father, I need the gift of your Son, save me. And he will. Invite those of you who are in the family of God to rest in that and those who have not been to come walk in that. And then we'll take communion as we end. We'll play a couple songs and you can take it whatever moment you want. What we've just said is for, for us right now, communion, you're not coming up to take up front. We have the, the cups in there. All we're asking is that your faith be in Jesus and you're welcome to take with us. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Maybe that's what you need to hear in congruence with Christ welcomes you. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming to the people around you and your own heart, I'm welcomed, I'm saved, I'm paid for, I'm bought, I'm redeemed. You get to take and you get to be built up in light of that. My hope is that your soul would be encouraged in that. And Jesus would meet you where you're at, encourage you with his goodness and his mercy. We'll spend some time in these songs. Might be a couple extended moments in between them. We'll just lean into the best way that we can lead and love you is just give you some margin to pray. That maybe the best gift that we can give is not the preaching, but just to slow down and give you some moments of prayer. God, let me, let me draw near to you. You show me the reality of my welcome. Man, there's some things going on in the heart. I just don't feel that welcome. Will you, you help me with that today? Man, deal with that before you go. Come and take and be encouraged. There's a good father who's merciful and kind and a savior who's given a perfect sacrifice that welcomes you. Will you stand with me? Father, I pray that you do your work in us. We continue to plead, draw near. We confess to you, we need you. We don't just need knowledge of you. We need you to have freedom and margin to come and move around the difficult parts of our heart, come and work. Come meet us where we are. Come, let us feel the presence of a good God. For those who are distant and tired, the ones who are disappointed in themselves and their walk, let I pray that they see the welcome that they feel the mercy of a Savior who is good. For those who are broken and busted and hurt, would you revive their heart with the beauty of the welcome? For those who are thankful and have seen the goodness of what you have done, I pray that your welcome would be a continued source of joy. Let us see the beauty of the welcome you have given, God. And Lord, I pray, help us to embody this text. May we be united not just in word, but actually in practice. 
with one voice, may we declare, declare the beauty of God. May you be glorified. We love you, Father.